Hello and welcome to another Spool.ie podcast with me, Mr. Nigel, and him, Mr. Porrick. Hello. So we're here in a rainy summer's evening blabbering about films. This month we're talking animation, Ant-Man and Amy. Uh, we'll look back on the Galway Film Flat and we're also featuring two films by female directors in our Watch With Spool series. First up, Pizza. <laughs> ah, sorry, hold on. Hello? Wait, what? You're kidding. Ah, uh, uh, stall for me. I'll be right there. The investor's supposed to show up on Thursday, not today. Uh, I gotta go. It's okay. We get it. You're the best. Thanks, hon. See you, sweetie. Dad just left us. Oh, he doesn't love us anymore. That's sad. I, I should drive, right? Joy, what are you doing? Uh, just uh, give me one second. Um, you know what I've realized? Riley hasn't had lunch, remember? Hey, I saw a pizza place down the street. Maybe we could try that. Pizza sounds delicious. Pizza? pizza. Yes, pizza. <laughs> That's good. What the heck is that? Who puts broccoli on pizza? That's it. I'm done. Congratulations, San Francisco. You've ruined pizza. First the Hawaiians, and now you. Um, so that was the new Pixar film that, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is the best one they've done since 2009 when Up came out. Um, yeah, so the film brings us into the mind of a young girl by the name of Riley, and inside of her head she's got these five different emotions, uh, each voiced by a Hollywood actor. Joy, who's Amy Poehler, who we know from Parks and Recreation. Anger, who's Lewis Black, who is a stand-up comedian who you just told me during that clip that you do know some of his stuff. Yeah, I know some of his stand-up. He's very good, and he's kind of perfectly cast as anger because if you've seen some of stand-up that's all his routine rage and cool disgust which is mindy calling who has her own tv show and she was in the office fear which is bill Hader, who we also know from snl and lots of things like that and then sadness um played by phyllis smith so in effect the whole film turns into a happiness versus sadness thing as the two of them end up um I suppose, being kicked out of her head in the directing, being in control. And it's all a big metaphor because they're thrown into the deep, you know, the kind of deeper consciousness of her head and they have to then get back in. And it's all a big message of maybe it's okay to have more than one emotion at a time. Because up until that point, there'd been that very simple thing of, oh, no, we got to make everything happy for the child. It's got to be all very one dimensional and um, she can't be sad. Let's not taint it. And then over the course of the film, we see how. Yeah, it's kind of removing from a child into a teenager. And then there's a funny joke when it upgrades into puberty. Um, but like Joy, Amy Poehler's Joy for me was just playing, playing her character from Parks and Rec. And herself in real life. Yeah, like, there doesn't seem to be too much. There was a bit of controversy as well, I think, in the States. How Joy is a skin, skinny, you know, pixie-like figure. And Sadness is this fat woman, you know, with big glasses. And you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I see that. And I didn't, there was a bit, I, I dug the film, I thought it was good. Um, there's a bit when it goes in, because obviously it goes into the father's head and the mother's head. And I kind of didn't like, if you noticed, when it went into the mother's head, sadness was the main emotion. And for the father, it was anger. They were kind of the main, because in the, in the child's head, it's joy. And then there's this connection between joy and sadness. But for the mother, sadness was at the centre of the whole thing. And for the father, it was anger. And I was like, oh, that's a bit stereotypical. There was a lot of stuff at the end that was kind of good, which I had wished they'd done more of, where it goes into other people's heads. That's kind of the credits roll. I was like, oh, that's pretty clever. Yeah, they keep it fairly simple. So I thought my criticism of it is in the middle part where um, it just gets a little bit slow. It all gets very one-dimensional. Let's get from A to B and make it all kind of like easy you, to just yeah. get there um, and I could have done without that a little bit yeah you were saying up. I was trying to think I can't really remember what the last Pixar film I thought was brilliant I think it was Toy Story 3 like up I liked the first bit of it and then the bit where the humans or you know when the kind of the dog and the kid came into it I was like I don't really care about this and the same with Wally. I thought the first 40 minutes where he's by himself were amazing but and then when the aliens or when the humans come up in the spaceship, I was like, this looks crap. There's nothing amazing about like Pixar obviously set the standard so high and have created the benchmark for digital animation. And you can tell a Pixar film like a mile away. Yeah. But they need to go somewhere new now or. Yeah, well, we I was looking at their, I'll get it up here on screen again. I was looking at their upcoming ones again. They are continuing. They're doing another um, Finding Dory, it's called. It's out next year. Um, so it's Finding Nemo sequel and then they have a sequel to um uh what is it i think cars three like they're still doing you know a certain amount of um their own sequels like sticking to that whole world but um they do have an original one out next year that the i can't remember what it's called it becomes quite predictable as well like you can see exactly where it's going and 
this is going to happen then this when it, there's a lot of cleverness in it but I was just like uh, I don't know I didn't like the short before it either. no the short was was pretty lame which Very was the wonderful. first one and when I saw that I was like oh this doesn't bode well yeah um, we so we were at the Galway Film Flat and the brown bag uh, films had their short playing in the animated one and that was kind of about a desert island thing but that was better than the Pixar one yeah. both in how it looked and in terms of the story you know it's nice and simple those Pixar shorts I think used to be very very good but um, kind of losing a bit of the magic but anyway speaking of animation that's actually you know we can be kind of proud of we mentioned uh, Brown Bag there another cartoon uh, another animation studio in Ireland is of course Cartoon Saloon so they had an Oscar nominated film before with The Secret of Kells back in I don't know 2010 maybe 2009 09. 09. and so um their new film, The Song of the Sea, came out uh, about 10 days ago at this stage. And um, this got an Oscar nomination this year as well. It came out in America for Christmas uh, last year and has gotten an amazing positive buzz and were some of the last kind of people to get to see it, which I think is very clever. I think that was a deliberate thing by them to let everywhere else get the momentum going and then the UK and Irish release will do the work for you. So we have a clip of this, um, if you want to play. play. I heard of the birthday party above the lighthouse today. Young Searsha is six, is she? Well, you all witch. Oh, Granny. She's going to try and make us move to the city again, isn't she? how you can live in this awful place. You children are a state. Is that your birthday outfit? So um, that's the granny. Uh, not sure who voices her, but she uh, is coming to visit the dad and the two kids. So Neil um, Flanagan's the granny. Sorry. Um, is she not the... Oh, right. And... Um, so yeah, the the boy there is David Rawl, who we know from Moon Boy, and he discovers that uh, his young sister, who hasn't spoken for about five years, is this kind of spiritual uh, creature known as a selkie, um, which kind of so it's sort of a hard kind of thing to explain. It's sort of the supernatural Celtic mythology thing. Um, well, she becomes a seed when she comes into water. Basically, that's it. She has her, she puts her coat on, and all of a sudden she is a, is a seed. And in the setup here, she's like a savior of the fairy folk who are trapped in stone and different stuff. Yeah, and becoming extinct in a way, you know, they're getting kind of shut down. So so there's a whole, I thought it was fantastic, um, Tom Moore directed it and kind of came up with the whole idea and he was saying, I read that he set it in October of 1987. Cause it's Very set it, specific date. It's date. set it Halloween. Yeah. So it was a year that was important to him and um, the attention to detail in it is fantastic. There was like lots of small wee stuff. Uh, to see the agar written on the cooker. Yeah. I enjoyed that. All those little there was a wee poster to Barry McGuigan uh, and Clonus. Cyclone, yeah, the Clonus yeah, yeah. Cyclone and yeah. then there was an old golden syrup tin at one point and I was like oh I haven't seen one of those in years yeah. um, so that was fantastic it's it's an absolutely beautiful film it looks fantastic very insanely Irish very rooted in Irish folklore and traditions and it's just great to see that and it's a pleasure to see them driving from like I, I took it as, as Connemara then getting to Dublin yeah. what the journey was yeah. and it taking you know a couple of hours but then it being a bit more magical later on where they were able to you know get the bus for a while and then get dumped out somewhere around that loan or something so. and all the wee there was a couple of wee nods to stuff in Dublin where you had the Wygo Ball sign and the statue of Molly Malone and you're like oh, that's fantastic um, yeah because yeah, initially I thought it was Galway I was being really particular and then it quickly became apparent to those yeah. nods it looks like the granny kind of almost lives in Stony Butter or something I thought <laughs> little ones yeah uh, I love the subtlety of some of the messages in it like um, so Ben is played by David Rawl from Moonboy and she her him and his sister have to go off on this adventure because the mother takes the grandmother takes them away from the father because it's not safe no it's not safe they kind of live in and a and he's depressed house. because as we mentioned sorry when um, the, the young girl is born the mother uh, dies she yeah, dies in childbirth yeah, or mysteriously dies in childbirth like yeah. it's, it's taken away um, it's voiced by Lisa Hannigan who does a very good job yeah um, yeah, so then the two children have to go on this adventure because they realise that uh, Saoirse, the daughter, is a Selkie. So there's an evil spiritual creature called Maka who is 
doesn't want um, Saoirse to be able to free all the fairy folk. And there's a whole underlying thing there of depriving yourself of sadness and emotion because it's it's kind of that classic mother thing as well where Maka had a son who also lost her wife and she turned him into this giant island and took all his sorrow and stone because she didn't want to see him suffer. So it is that kind of underlying thing with all family. And it's there's a lovely wee metaphor whereby all the emotions are in bottles. And I was like, oh, that's a great thing. She's like bottling up your emotions. But they never throw it in your face. You kind of come to it yourself. And it's yeah. so contrasted to Inside Out, where they were punching in the face. with like, oh, do you see? Do you get this? You know? I think, well, I think it was, they, they shared a lot of the same themes of it being important to, but then kids haven't embraced this at all. Like I've talked to a few people and the kids aren't at all interested. Like it's doing so much more for like older kind of teenage mm. um kids and I cause it is quite dark at times and like the bit when you see Micah become an owl that's when it really reminded creepy, me yeah. of I know a lot of people have said it in reviews and stuff Studio Ghibli um, it it does have that adult kind of weirdness where you're just like Jesus mm. it's a bit serious Micah reminded me a bit of the uh, the critic in Ratatouille as well it's just the bad the bad guy trying to win yeah. them over don't know maybe it's a visual thing but but uh, yeah I do think I suppose younger kids are going to be more in favour of Inside Out but maybe teens like it the teenagers would be more interested in Song of the Sea yeah um, and both are very strong compared to so many other things and um, we d- I didn't see Minions yet but apparently Minions is another animated one that came out this month but mm. it's basically the only thing that you get out of it it's very fun and very clever and silly but there's no great message and everyone just comes out of it saying banana banana yeah. or it's a series of music videos I've heard basically yeah just. so I think it's almost like I was thinking of it as the one for the like you know zero to fives inside out can do for the five to tens and then for the ten to fifteens you've got uh, Song of the Sea so we have an animation selection for all you listeners with your uh, young nephews nieces sons daughters or maybe we have some children listeners do we? I don't we've never gotten see we wouldn't know because they wouldn't be uh, allowed to tweet or anything and our Bebo page was shut down so True. Um, or not on Snapchat are we? So, um, so yeah that's it both are still in the cinema and um, along with the minions as well and yeah we'll take maybe we'll just take a few minutes of the song from Lisa Hannigan as we mentioned just to kind of wrap up the little animation bit between the hill, between the now Between the north, between the south Between the west, between the talk and back to the silly season of superhero comic book blockbusters continues with Ant-Man which came out on Friday and it stars everybody's favourite came out man. 10 days ago oh 10 days ago well no that's not even pretending that we're recording this in the future oh, no, it right. literally did come out oh, I thought it only came out Friday okay sorry it came out two weeks ago um, yeah, so it stars Paul Rudd. Everybody loves him. He plays Scott Lang. It had a very low key release, so sorry just to interrupt you again. It didn't <laughs> have again, no. the, the fuss. No, but you're right. Like you know, this was when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, and I think a bit of fatigue. Well, I suppose the all promotion. the kind of hullabaloo with Edgar Wright yeah. being kicked off it, and maybe they thought they had a bit of a dud on their hands. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. Do you want to? No, you're continue right. Uh, so here's a clip, and kind of sets it up nicely. In the right hands, the relationship between man and suit is symbiotic. The suit has power. The man harnesses that power. You need to be skillful, agile, and above all, you need to be fast. You should be able to shrink and grow on a dime. So your size always suits your needs. Now dive through the keyhole, Scott. You charge big, you dive small, then you emerge big. Ah. 
So there we see uh, Paul Rudd trying to get to grips with the suit. So By jumping through a keyhole and not getting through a keyhole. Yeah. So obviously the suit makes you be able to go super small to the size of an ant, one would say. And uh, he gets released from prison at the start. He's been in jail for robbery. Um, gets what out. was this robbery? But was it in some way... It was like computer robbery. It was kind of yeah, like... Yeah, it was sort of... They were trying to push it though. Oh, he's kind of in jail, but wasn't... Yeah, he's like part. a Robin Hood kind of yeah, character. Because I know nothing of Ant-Man from Comic Book World, and I've seen this pretty cold. Um, yeah, I'd only kind of become to hear of it when they decided to do the movie, and then it was just like, uh, all right, this sounds ridiculous. Um, it's very funny, um, due largely to the chemistry with everybody, kind of like Paul Rudd plays fantastically off uh, Michael Pena, who's his kind of buddy and best friend, and he wants him to go back into like a life of crime and stealing, but Paul Rudd wants to get clean because he's got a daughter to care for and he's separated from his wife. But then um, Michael Douglas, who is the original Ant-Man from the 40s, and created all the technology he plays Hank Pym um, he wants Paul Rudd to steal uh, or help him stop the technology because uh, Corey Stoll who people recognise from House of Cards House of Cards yeah is he's really like, bad isn't he uh, like a good I mean oh, he's good yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, no, he's, he's a, yeah. yeah. He's, he would have been a good Lex Luthor I thought yeah just because of the baldness. Jesse Eisenberg is our new Lex Luthor, mm. though, and he's long hair. Take well, everyone kind of hates him, so I suppose it'll work yeah. well. Uh, so he is Darren Cross, who's like a protege of Michael Douglas's um, Hank Pym, and has tried forever to create this Ant-Man technology because he heard of it. And Michael Douglas obviously realised this technology should not be used, really, and it's just going to be used for weapons. But Corey Stoll or Darren Cross has realised how to do it. So Michael Douglas, along with Ant-Man, wants to shut it down. So it's very funny. And what did Yeah, you... I didn't really dig. I liked quite a bit of it, um, but I was kind of left. We're talking about the two and a half. So you're sounding like you're on the three and a three, half, four yeah. fence. Oh, well, so. three. Oh, yeah. And I'm on about the two and a half. So I love okay. my two and a half. I'm quite indifferent. And you're like, that's very good. And it's a three. <laughs> um, no, it was it just felt like there was nothing it was kind of inconsequential to the wider world of these Marvel films. Like this was a bit like, you know, they, they brought in um, what's his face? Fa- uh, Falcon. Yeah. Oh, Anthony Mackie's Falcon a bit and tried to link it in. And, you know, he's going to be obviously Ant-Man's going to be in the next Avengers. I and, thought that like, and the next Captain America. worked pretty well, though, because I had no idea yeah. that was coming up. And I was like, oh, this but, is like, I love I love the Captain America films and I like this whole world. But you are reaching the point where you're like, they actually are only making these in order to make the next one. Like mm. that there is even the bits after the credits, we get to see Evangeline Lilly's Wasp character and you're like oh cool and then you know in the next after the next Avengers film maybe she'll be a pivotal character in that so Paul Rudd is brilliant in it Michael Pena I think is a bit stereotypical but also very funny so it's probably fine Yeah, they have a good chemistry and nice to see Michael Douglas just kind of kicking back having a bit of a, a bit of fun on I'm screen, kind of curious know. to see because Edgar Wright was booted this up is the like thing as well that differences you know yeah. so I'm kind of curious is a lot of the stuff that's in the film did he create that when he was writing the script yeah I had a quick look because it seemed like a lot of his kind of humour there's a bit that um a theme that runs through it when anytime Michael Penn is telling a story it's just his voice coming out of all these different characters which is hilarious but I was like oh that really and the giant, like Edgar Wright stuff yeah and the giant Thomas the Tank Engine train like there's a few visual gags and yeah. even in the clip we showed like there's some sideway it's like smash cut swooshy things yeah edits if you like transitions whatever you want to call them that are just like his and you wonder I'm sure you can read the script or just do some better research than we did that train thing I thought was very good hilarious yeah it kind of reminded me of the um, tank Wallace and Gromit yeah Yeah. Yeah. so like I think it plays it knows well that it's a slightly farcical uh, premise and it has a bit of fun so but it is nice to see a comic book movie that's a bit of fun as opposed to thinking it's the new Shakespeare. Well, this is well, this was it. This is obviously their their kind of um, strategy because last year we had Guardians of the, Gal- of the Galaxy, which was a spoof as well, but also very fun. So this came out the same weekend. So you wonder because um, I saw the trailer for Suicide Squad. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, I don't really care. About and even this. The, yeah, I saw a better one for Fantastic Four, which is out next month, yeah, I think and that, that looks, looks okay. a bit more fun. The first one for it was atrocious, and. Um, you were like, that looks so grim and I just don't care at all. And then, of course, we had another Batman versus Superman one, which just looks like there's an animated one, um, The Dark Knight uh, Returns, the Frank Miller anime, there's a two-part animation thing that just tells this whole story way better than that Zack Snyder film probably will. But, uh, okay. Anyway. Um, Any more comic book? Comic book. Comic book. Books. Um, Fantastic Four is out 7th of August, I think. And then we're on to a break where by next year then we'll be into Captain America, then Man of... Superman, Batman one. 
Um, so Mission Impossible 4 or 5 or 6, sorry, whatever one it is, is probably the last blockbuster is it of the summer? Um, possibly the last big, big one, maybe. Or the last, like, huge, big... Fra- we we went through that sequence of huge, big franchise ones, so um, I can't think of any giant ones in, in August, but uh, we'll come back to that in our August look look up. You'll have to read the uh, What's Worth Watching feature on school.ie, um, available on the first of the month. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I suppose the other one that we maybe chat about a little bit is Amy, the... Um, documentary about Amy Winehouse and Asif Kapadi the British director who did Senna um, did it and his technique is really really brilliant he takes brilliant archive um, combines it then with audio interviews that he conducts with uh, the participants and then just puts it together that way so there's no there's no new talking heads any talking heads are like old in footage he's found as such yeah like he well he's gone and yeah he has gone and sat down and done new interviews but there's no yeah, he's exactly. Sorry, I know what you mean. He's not going filming any new video interviews and putting them in and creating any. It feels more natural that way, like that way, because you know, they with the video interview, if it's shot in such a way, and if I if I'm filming you and I see like a bead of sweat coming on your forehead, I'm like, oh, he's probably lying or anything. You know, the Frost Nixon yeah, type yeah. thing. Whereas when it's this audio over thing, it feels like, oh, I see the point you're making, and every point that M. Um, Capaldi makes about Winehouse's dad. Um, was his name Richard? I don't, can't remember. Uh, Mitch, sorry. Mitch Winehouse. Mitch Winehouse, yeah. Yep. So you then feel like, yeah, you're a jerk, you're a jerk. But it's not like we're being tricked into thinking that. It's just like we've genuine archive footage of him being an asshole and then... Because mm-hmm. that has been the biggest controversy that has come out of it. Like Mitch has gone apeshit about the way he's portrayed. And I heard him do an interview afterwards that was with a Irish broadcaster and it was incredibly one-sided in the other regard. So I'd say the truth is somewhere in between the two. And like he doesn't really go to town on the mother, Asif, you know, and there, there is stuff from Amy saying like she couldn't wait to move out of the house. The father never seemed to be around much. And then he suddenly seemed to come back on the scene once things were going great. And he was like he made himself into a savior of her towards the end. And again, is really kind of. Well, he promoted the fact he was a savior. Yeah, well. you know, so I think maybe when Asif was kind of looking through the footage and everything, he was like hang on a minute I'm actually going to portray the truth about you so it's I, I'm more on the side of like it was. it's just a really sad film because she just seemed to be lost and kind of surround herself with like kind of dickhead men and there's an absolutely heartbreaking scene with um, when she's doing that the Grammys the Grammys yeah, yeah and Tony Bennett comes out to announce the winners and she just looks like a six year old and you can see her eyes like sparkling she's so happy and then when he calls her name out that she's won she's just ecstatic and like that's heartbreaking and then there's this like a scene a couple of seconds later where you hear her friend saying that she took her backstage and he's like this is so boring without drugs yeah and, that's the that's the defining line of it, mm, isn't it? and like it doesn't pull any punches because towards the end when they're saying how bad you become with drugs it shows on screen pictures that seem to be like computer screen grabs or phone um, pictures of her looking atrocious, like looking just about to die. Yeah. So skinny and gaunt. And yeah, it's just it's really sad. A very good documentary. Yeah. And I mean, I think the sad he definitely sides on the the side of the, the original manager. What is it? Nick, uh, uh, Nick Shemansky. Yeah. You feel very sorry for and him. And friends. Too. Yeah. The early yeah. college friends. Because you think about the bonds you have with your your friends like when you're kind of coming of age if you like and she lived with these girls and they were through the early highs and lows but then uh, Blake <laughs> comes into it and he it's the biggest waste of space ever and you just are dying for him to piss off for her to get out of London for her like for her to just yeah get away from the people who were clearly pretty much killing her because you contrasted like I've always viewed her and Adele's career similarly and like Adele just sort of seems to have been really on top of everything like you know able to control didn't go near the drugs seems to yeah. you know have had her own well no she had she had you know she had weight issue I'm not even going to say weight issue she herself talked about feeling she was heavier than she wanted to be lost a bit of weight but still retained herself the essence of herself yeah. never seemed to have much talk of any drink or drug addictions and has gone on to ridiculous success and yet they're both from similar kind of worlds and everything like that I yeah. feel so and you see those things it's classic again with like 
British pop stars as the paparazzi just went to town. Or? Yeah, those scenes are the way they've been edited as well. The sound and the flash photography mm. are terrifying. You actually there's the epilepsy warning beforehand. Where yeah, she's being hounded. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if Amy, I think Amy is still in the lighthouse cinema, but definitely it's going to be one of those that will be on Netflix it's, by the end. I think of the it's year. becoming one of the most popular yeah. documentaries in cinema. Which still, I suppose, shows her appeal. So it's probably not going to get through to the actual Daily Mail type like reader and get have them stop supporting the tabloid culture and everything but no because I think they were like look it's fair game and you know whatever she is much played up to it which I don't think she did you know maybe those around her kind of played up to it um, on her behalf but in, in trying to promote yeah mm. and the stories of her being dragged away on tour by uh, Mitch telling her yeah. we can make this amount of money and she's like but all I want to do is record so yeah. clearly she because I remember you know the YouTube footage of her coming out on that tour I remember that showing up on broadsheet.ie in a really snarky way. Yeah. And looking at it and going, oh, yeah, there's Amy and oh, my God, like just feeling, feeling yeah. sympathy. But the, all the language around it was um, like what a, you know, what a, what a mess she is. Isn't it, isn't it hilarious? Yeah. Kind of yeah. Thing. And there is that chilling couple of scenes where everybody's taking the piss out of her and making jokes. And yeah, Jay Leno and Graham Norton in there yeah. and not... Who was it? Frankie Boyle? I oh, think as well. yeah. There's a few in it and they all did it. Like, I mean, everyone. And obviously they wouldn't have laugh. gone to the same just because you never think that someone is going to commit suicide. And like, I know she didn't effectively, but like she OD'd from alcohol. She, so. Yeah, she had it built herself to be intolerant. You know, so hindsight's a brilliant thing, but well worth checking out, um, but quite sad. Yeah. Um, another musical, continuing the musical theme, uh, we might cheer ourselves up a little bit with this clip from Love and Mercy. So that was uh, Love and Mercy and it tells the story of Brian Wilson and interestingly enough it does it from two points of view so we have young Brian as it appears on IMDb as Paul Dano and I think future Brian but there's a baby old. Brian in it as well there's a five year old oh, Brian shit. young young Brian so John Cusick present in his older um, life and I wasn't really aware of this story. Obviously, I knew who Brian Wilson was in the Beach Boys and his um, trying to finish a, like a masterpiece album called Smile, which eventually came out a few years ago. Um, but it kind of focuses on how his obviously his mental health issues when he was at the height of his peak with the Beach Boys and how he wanted to come away from touring with them and just focus on the studio kind of albums and making albums and the more just orchestration of music and everything like that composing yeah yeah so he eventually kind of just disintegrates mentally and finds it very hard to cope and the John Cusack character then is under basically kept hostage by uh, Paul Giamatti who plays yeah Eugene Landley Um, and he is just over medicating him and like at at one point Eugene Landley played by Paul Giamatti makes the point well look when I came Brian Wilson was like 300 pounds he didn't get out of bed for three years and I kind of got him up and got him out but now he's gone the other extreme and kind of kept him prisoner and then Elizabeth and Banks has fiddled with his will as well yeah too. yeah and he's kind of cut him out of his whole family and everything yeah yeah. Um, so Elizabeth Banks plays Melinda Ledbetter and um, she then tries to get older Brian Wilson out of the grasps of Paul Giamatti so it kind of flashes back between the two Paul Dano and John Cusack because we learned that you know there is that kind of classic theme where his dad was effectively a bastard the dad yeah it reminded me of the Michael Jack like the Jackson 5 kind of thing of just that horrible pressure of nothing you do being good enough you know and and again that horrible thing of him just desperately craving his father's approval and, and the scene where he plays uh, God Only Knows from On the Piano. What a great scene. And he asks the dad what he thinks. And the dad had just recently been cut out of the the, the, the structure manage- of the yeah, band, yeah, uh-huh. the management. And was so unimpressed, thinks it looks a bit grim and it should be more about sun, sun and surf and all this thing. Which, as um, young Brian Wilson points out, they were pretending. They weren't surfers. You know, yeah, that was yeah. all like a pop pretend act. So Yeah. Um, um, and... Uh, 
There is that interesting thing where he says at one point where it was just like, yeah, my father hit me so hard he made me deaf in one ear over something. You're just like, Jesus. But it, it's fantastic. It's really well put together. Um, it's great hearing the music and the kind of formation of those classic Beach Boy songs that you would yeah. have heard. Because that can be... We saw it in stuff like Good Vibrations and last year the James Brown film Get On Up. Sometimes that whole composition of how a song is put together is just so powerful on screen. It can be a disaster and really cringeworthy if it's like... yeah roll your eyeballs but here you really do feel like you're kind of at the album sessions like in the clip we played there that's that's sort of the sound that the album had and how it felt yeah and for me this is closer in a you know music biopic to I'm Not There the one about Bob Dylan as opposed to like Ray or yeah and it shared the Johnny screenwriter as you point out in your review or in a mover man mm. um, who I think because there are those trippy kind of sequences in this that are yeah very, there's a brilliant you know, one where it's almost like a nod to 2001 when Brian is in the bed and he just keeps seeing versions younger Brian oh, yeah. the older Brian is like yeah. oh, and he moves good. bed and he does everything yeah no it's very good and that whole I suppose they float a little bit over the eventual resolution in Brian's life of once the doc is taken out of it like you know I'm pretty sure he's he, he has had a life of medication and if you see interviews with him in recent times um, he he's not like he seems still a little bit Mm-hmm. Um, disassociated maybe with with stuff and that's what he's like on stage I don't know if you did you see oh, no, him you went to him with me? Yeah. No. no who did you go to that year probably Chemical Brothers probably yeah that's the magic of the mid 2010s uh, what do we call that decade 2000s um, Irish festival where you're like will I go to see a, uh, a composing legend but someone who's kind of on the way out or will I go and see the Chemical Brothers could have been Daft Punk oh no I think I went to um, The Undertones Okay, okay. Also yeah. very good, which was good vibrations, yeah. good link. But like he, he, seeing him perform, because that was a lot of songs from Smile, so it would have been about May 2006 or something. Mm. Um, and he did feel a bit, I felt he was quite a disconnect, like kind of going through the motions and it didn't, yeah. which is, but it's amazing, like the story to get back to that from where he was at this point in it. Um, but it, again, it doesn't, it's not quite all warts and all, like it refers to briefly because he did seem like quite a bad father potentially and like he didn't, He'd lost contact with his family and there, he did obviously do stuff where how did his family just like, because we have brothers and sisters, like what would you need to do that they don't care about you and don't yeah. check in on you? Yeah, I don't know. Cause so he, I kind of would find did, that interesting. Yeah, and Dennis Wilson, who has um, is, was a successful solo person in his own act, had mm. died at that stage, had drowned. Um, and so it was kind of just Carl and... The, the mother then, yeah, and they don't show them in the... So they float a little bit over that, but I still thought it was brilliant. I'm on the oh, yeah. four and a half camp. Yeah, I'd be so four, stars, I definitely. Um, and it's going to be one of those, like, I think Paul Dano... Like, John Cusack does very well. It's great to see him doing yeah, well. Yeah, but like great, yeah. Paul Dano's performance is something else, I really thought. Um, I was like, yes, good to have him back. Because yeah. we were just checking there. I was like, what has he been in recently? So he ha- he was the guy in Looper a little bit, and then he played an asshole in 12 Years a Slave. And what were you saying? Ruby Sparks as Ruby well. Sparks was so a great he, one. He's a, no. he, he was a perfect fit though because he's a certain weirdness. He's such a... Yeah. And even in in interviews, I listened to a podcast, the Dinner Party Download podcast where he uh, was interviewed by them and he's a very, he's very chilled out. Like, you know, you can kind of tell that he doesn't really play the Hollywood game at all. Like mm. he's the kind of guy, like the Joaquin Phoenix thing of if he got an Oscar nomination, it'd just be like, don't care, you know, so indifferent. Has he had an Oscar nomination? Don't know. We'll pass on Maybe that. he got one for 12, not 12 Years a Slave for There Will Be Blood. He might have. We'll have to check the old internet live on the podcast. Oscar nomination. Um, don't see award nominations. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him... Um, nominated Oscar. Nominated for... Uh, what do you call it? No, a BAFTA he was nominated for. Okay. And an award circuit. So some stuff, but not an Oscar. I wouldn't be surprised to see... Because uh, they can push this as a supporting performance technically you know they, they split that oh yeah like yeah. could John could they both be supporting considering they split it 50-50 Elizabeth mm-hmm. Banks is brilliant as well she's very good I had yeah. just seen yeah. her um, in uh, Magic Mike during the week and uh, it's also great anyway we'll move on our movie moment of the month I think uh, mine is going to be from Amy I kind of talked about it briefly but that scene where um, Tony Bennett announces that she has won the Grammy is just I thought heartbreaking and it's that those bits in documentaries that kind of make them stand out and you're like oh 
Yeah, and mine is from Magic Mike XXL, which is a film you haven't seen yet, and oh. I think might be one of the most misunderstood films of the year. I think it's brilliant. Okay. And um, again, not, don't. It's a perfect one to kind of stream and very very clever. But I'm not reviewing the film. Um, I will have a review in our monthly best and worst roundup. But uh, the scene is just really really funny. It's in the shop. Joe Magna Magniello's character. Um, is it? I knew he had a ridiculous name, and I didn't want to say it. Big Dick Richie. Um, <laughs> is trying to find his groove again. He's like, and he he goes into a shop, and he's like, if if and the guys are like, if you can make her smile then, you know, you have to commit to kind of changing your, your style and your groove and everything. And he does this ridiculous striptease in this crappy side of the road kind of road stuff shop. And it's Brilliant. really, really funny. It involves uh, potato chips and water and everything. It's so ridiculous. The film is is daft, but it's surprisingly inoffensive and okay. very good toward women. Anyway, so that's it um, for this section of the podcast. Uh, Goodbye in July. Cheerio July. Absolutely. Well, not quite, because uh, moving on to our next section, we're going to do a quick roundup and a few thoughts about Gala Film Flat, which took place um, two weeks ago now. And as always, it was fantastic. Great to get down to Galway for a couple of days and put on a great show. And it's great because it's so varied. It's, and it's accessible. It's mm. probably the most accessible film. You really feel like you're, you see everyone. If you want to go and talk to a director, you're just kind of like, hello. Yep. Whereas JDIF and everything, these bigger, like, you know, Toronto, London, Venice, wherever, they just feel like it's, them and us like celebrities and you can you you know totally. yeah uh, so we're just going to each pick a couple of films I'm going to talk about Traders uh, which I really dug it's directed it has two directors Rachel Moriarty and Peter Murphy and they also um, wrote it as well and it stars Killian Scott and John Bradley are the two main characters who John Bradley will recognise people will recognise him from Game of Thrones um, which I don't watch Sam Shock Horror and uh, okay Sam he so plays basically the same character as Sam in Lord of the Rings Oh, really? She'll be sidekick oh, to, to, to Frodo. To Jon Snow. Who's sorry. this Frodo? Oh, Jon Snow. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he comes up with this idea where people uh, fight each other to the death um, for some of money, and then the winner buries the body and takes the sum of money. So each kind of fight each other for, say, five grand, and then the winner will have ten grand, and then he goes on and fights someone for ten grand. So Yeah, I was kind of working out, can they, they can kind of pitch whatever money they want, though, could they? Yeah, like if you had 20 grand... But the sensible thing is you whatever your last winnings were, and then you... Yeah, you would kind of keep kind of doubling up. And it's kind of funny, like Killian Scott is in it, and he he does a voiceover, which I kind of wasn't digging at the start, but it kind of makes sense. And for me, the film is a black comedy, really. Uh, very dark, and some good laughs in it, and the, the chemistry between the two of them is fantastic. And it's also, for Irish viewers who have seen... Um, Love, love hate. Oh, love hate. It becomes a uh, who's who because everybody from Love Fight makes an appearance. You're like, oh, there's so and so, and there's so and so. He killed the cat and all that kind of stuff. But um, <coughs> no, it works really well. Oh, I'm just looking. Mo Dunford is in it as somebody who was in Lazarus Twenty Three. So he must have been. He was at it. Yeah, he was in Patrick's Day. Yeah, and I didn't so see him in the film. I didn't know him in the film. Um, yeah, but I thought it was great. And what I love, which I always love about Irish films, sometimes is that they're not don't have to be about Ireland I thought this could have been in any country that has gone through an economic downturn yeah it's that's the thing these two lads have lost their jobs from a stockbroken firm and this is how they decide to come up with money like it's not very yeah. rooted in Irishness unfortunately yeah the intro to it said a very timely story about economic downturn you're like well it would have been timely about three years ago because yeah. now these kind of people have loads of money back again true um, his apartment is incredible as well isn't it it's Down ridiculous there on the so I was like where is that in Dublin it's near the three it's like something out of American kind of Psycho yeah uh, you made the point which was quite interesting um, that it reminded you of a Ben Wheatley film or if Ben Wheatley had a direct like, yeah, you and know. they referenced it, that as well in the talk afterwards yeah. that it it would have been perfect I, I thought it was slightly mental and a little bit the tone was bonkers but um, yeah it's, a great, it's great to just see a genre film in there rather than something that yeah. has to be about Irish identity and blah 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 blah, blah. Yeah. Um, the one I'm going to is actually now in the cinema um, it's Your Ugly 2 which um, I'll take a clip of Stop doing that, you know. I've been doing it since I was five. I don't think I can stop now. Well, how about this? For every day you get through without spitting, I'll give you five books, yeah? Ten. Five. Eight. Five. Six. Five. Two. Come on. That doesn't count. 
that's the a little clip from your ugly two the um which if there ever is a sequel will have to be called your ugly two two there won't be a sequel anyway so um that was aiden gillen um who we know from the likes of charlie other voices presenter game of thrones queers yeah love hate probably ireland's most I'd nearly argue successful. Yeah, like yeah. Brendan Leeson and Liam Cunningham would give him a run for his money, but he's more, he's in more things than them at the minute. But anyway, he's certainly, you know, he's a very divisive actor, but um, I th- I'm kind of obsessed with him because he's equally terrible and incredible at the same time. I think he's great. <laughs> like, he's great in The Wire. A lot of people complain about him in Game of Thrones because he has a different accent every week. Uh, yeah. So that, but then it's like, oh, well, he's moving north. Maybe, you know, he is adjusting to where he's from. Anyway, so he plays a guy who's just out of prison. Um, and he's put under the temporary guardianship of his niece, uh, played by a newcomer, Lauren Kinsella. Um, and they're going to look after her on a trial basis to see, because he's out a month, or no, is it six months early to see, because he went in on assault charges, something to do maybe with the with the death of her mother or why she's a foster thing. You kind of, pretty sure, the spoilers, you've put two and two together there, yeah. how, how all this works out, so... Um, anyway, so they he hasn't a penny to his name or anything like that, but they the family had a caravan, so he goes to Offaly um, to live in this caravan, and she tries to go to school there, but because she has narcolepsy, she's not accepted, so she has to get educated by him, and they live in this caravan. So it's a real kind of buddy comedy almost where the two of them, but trying to have a bit of... Um, you know, there's good banter between them, like in Saint. We saw it in the clip, and they're just very, very natural. Like, and in the speech afterwards, like they don't really have it in real life. Like, Aidan Gillen's as socially awkward as he ever is, and the girl is sort of a precocious kind of like th- theater school thing. So it's amazing that they're so good on screen. Apparently, they hadn't met before filming actually started. They they deliberately wanted it to be kind of awkward and exactly as it would be in real life. So, um, yeah, great to see stuff happening in Offaly. There's lovely windmills. It all looks a bit too Instagrammy. I mentioned in the review, um, it's incredibly brown. They just kind of wheeled up things a bit too much on that. But uh, it's well shot. It's just a pity they had to kind of grade it. So, um, <laughs> so um, Pinterest friendly. Uh, brilliant. Okay, so those were kind of two Irish ones. Um, so I'm going to go totally other end of the scale with blood sucking bastards. This was a late night affair, and it's a comedy horror kind of you know B movie classic. It was directed by Brian James O'Connell. And it's set in kind of people have seen Office Space, it kind of will have a similar vibe. It's a very clever, kind of um, the company. It's a sales company, and they're going down the toilet. So the managers hire a company who basically turn everyone into vampires because then they become really productive and good at their job. <laughs> <laughs> and but a couple of people obviously are like, hey, we don't want to be turned into vampires, so are stopping the rot for want of a better term. So. Um, Fran Cans is Evan. He's kind of the hero archetypal, you know, going for the promotion, didn't get it, and then everybody starts to become vampires. So he's like, oh, screw this. And his main thing is to save his girlfriend, um, Amanda, who's played by Emma Fitzpatrick, and his sidekick then, who is Tim, who is Joey Kern, who is hilarious in it. He's very funny. So it's kind of, it does what it says in the chain. There's some good kills in it, good CGI. It was made for... The producer actually was at it and who was from Kerry originally. Um, ah, Irish Link. Yeah, and he um, he was kind of like, yeah, I can't tell you how much we you know spent in it because obviously we want to sell it and it's kind of like telling the trades and stuff. Um, so they low budget? Very low, like I'd say less than a million. And it was shot over 18 days. He was saying what they did, they basically found a company that had gone into an American version of NAMA and they were like, here, can we just shoot here for 18 days? They were like, yeah, okay. And basically wrecked it and, you know, did, because they knew it was going to get tumbled. Mm. Um, so, yeah, no, it's very funny, cool, lots of wee good sight jokes. And, um, yeah, while we're checking out, I'd say it'll do quite well. He was saying it's already got, it's going to be released in the States to like 100 screens. And I was like, that's fantastic. And it's got kind of European deals. So, I'm, you know, keep your eyes peeled for IFI and Lighthouse for like horror midnight screenings and stuff like that. Well worth checking out. Deadly Sounds, remind, do you remember the movie Daybreakers? Oh, yeah. Um, which I think we might have seen together. 2009, apparently, which is terrifying. But um, another kind of modern vampire business, like what if they were a realistic part of everyday life type story. I remember that. So, yeah. Um, check that one out as well. Uh, quickly then, the very last one for... Uh, that I might mention for uh, Galway is I Am Belfast, which is Mark Cousins's direct, uh, sorry, d- directed documentary. Um, uh, yeah, I reviewed this there during the week, so I'm not sure if any review stuff or if any releases or anything are going to happen. It's um, a docudrama type thing. What he's done is he's gone around for two years 
um, just sort of like up and down the streets recording stuff when he can trying to get on every single street see all the notable little things which didn't really come across in it like I was it's not like it felt like an encyclopedia Wikipedia trip around the city he just found some cool places and then filmed there but I suppose that's kind of what's needed it's like that's the amount of effort that goes into it but you don't really see but yeah yeah, but then your end product is so much stronger for it and he shoots some of it on his little uh, digi digi DV cam and then he films more constructed scenes and acted out with um, an actress play- playing the 10,000-year-old um, female embodiment of Belfast, which is bonkers with them, who he actually then shot really professionally and cuts them together. And then he has a bit of a voiceover that she had and then his own um, his own kind of voiceover. So they, they work in tandem with each other. It sounds very, it's very hard to describe, actually. It is concept. quite hard. And like it, it, it does come across like an art installation at time, but it, it becomes grounded in the middle and at the different points. Um, like it wouldn't be out of place as, as an art installation, but it, it is fantastic. It's a great kind of, you know, alternative take as, on a documentary. Yeah. And yeah, and, and an advertisement for a city as well. It's kind of fun to see something like that. Um, I want one for Dublin now. That's my main thing. So uh, that was it. All in all, Galway, we saw um, between us, I think we had a little, our little team there. We saw maybe 20 odd films. So I think the, the lineup wasn't as strong. I think we knew this going in. The lineup this year wasn't as strong as it has been in previous years. It was um, last year. I still go back to this. We had like Glassland, Patrick's Day, One Million Dubliners, one after another. And all three of them then came into being three of my favourite films of the year. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Anything I saw there, yeah, I think older I'm than Belfast. Older than Ireland, possibly potentially. Yeah, we didn't get to see it, um, but some of our contributors did. Um, hopefully, that'll come out soon. So again, we'll only know in six months when these films get take on a new life of their own. When the publicity behind them kicks in, you get to see trailers, you get to see, read more from the people behind them. So um, yeah, we'll see what comes of, of of it. And onward to next year, of course. Um, yep, which is great. Um, we. I forgot to pick our two films from August now as we just move in there. Um, what to look forward to. What to look forward to. What will be worth watching. So my one um, is out on the 14th of August, Trainwreck, which is Amy Schumer film. She is the hottest property in American comedy right now. She has her own TV show, Judd Apatow. Um, directs and Bill Hader stars in it. So I think it's going to be great. It's going to be, yeah very high hopes don't do, don't let me down train work. Um, and then mine is going to be uh, Miss America Mistress America Mistress America apologies and uh, it's directed by Noah Baumbach and stars um, Francis Ha star uh, Greta Gerwig who's also kind of co-written this one again um, alongside him which is good because they co-wrote Francis Ha which was fantastic and then when I saw he did um, the one he did on his own were while we're young I kind of didn't have as much affection for it so I'm kind of have high hopes for this and it also comes out on the 14th of August so yeah bad planning the fact that While We're Young came out four months ago now he's a new film I think people are always a bit wary of that type of thing happening yeah <laughs> like how um, but then some people are just very prolific um, yeah I think you're right you were voicing a few concerns about it being a kind of screwball comedy but what yeah um, I think that's okay it's going to be great they're out on the same day which is preposterous whoever sat didn't sit down and talk about the fact that you're dividing the wait for it the HBO hipster audience um, is really ridiculous. Um, yeah, I th- I can't understand that. You go weeks. Like this, oh, I don't know. Really annoys me. Yeah. <laughs> when was the last female indie comedy? Yeah, and then two in the same we'll day. Check them out. Yeah. So uh, we are now going to travel back in time to um, nineteen ninety nine. Well, to nineteen ninety nine. You you were in charge of the Watch with Spool. You held the keys to it this month. So yeah. So our focus was female directors, and we picked two on recommendation from Spool Friend. Uh, we picked Ratcatcher, uh, which was from nineteen ninety nine, and it was directed by Lynn Ramsey. That's right. So who would go on to direct. Um, we we need, need to talk about Kevin. Yeah. And in two thousand and eleven, like and Movern Caller in two thousand two, which. Um, I haven't seen and then she had three short films before this but still only directed a trilogy of films um, and anyway, the film tells the story of tenement flats in Glasgow in a very depressing 1973 there's a national uh, litter men strike so <laughs> places strewn with bin bags you think we have it bad living in uh, Dublin 7 and Dublin 8 and uh, anyway on a Tuesday morning imagine that then exaggerated for it seemed like months and bin bags are just there yeah. the kids are setting them on fire poking them with sticks I kind of liked how everyone just like fucked them out on the street as well like I think if it was here you'd just be like oh I'll I'll keep them in the back somewhere and wait till the big men come absolutely not no it's there's a real disconnect this would have been 
I suppose it would have been before like Thatcher and everything, but just like grim Britain, like industrial Britain was dying, you know, and you got privatization of everything and trying to crush the unions and then yeah. the combination of it, this isn't anything to do with the plot because it's not about the strike really. But no, but, but there's this, an undercurrent the so- of Yeah, the of soldiers kind of come in at the end and they were like... They're hated, yeah. Yeah, you know, so... Yeah. So um, it's rough. So the, the kid, the centre of the film is, is, a, is a young boy, James, uh, played by William Eady, who didn't go on to do anything else. Um, and he is basically play acting, mess, mucking around with his friend in the canal near their tenement flat where they live. And the friend dies. It's kind of James's fault, but more so his fault is that he didn't do anything to help it and then crawls back. And, you know, he, he could have potentially saved the day, but then didn't. And as far as he is concerned, no one knows whether he got away with it. But then, you know, it turns out a few people sort of watch. So the whole film is basically then a sense of him being in limbo, purgatory, this kind of guilt stage of like, am I going to be OK? Like life is hard enough for him anyway, because his dad, <laughs> is a ridiculously dirty drunk man yeah, I mean just, physically that, that dirty kind of classic yeah he goes in the beer and just comes home and steals money from the wife and it's like I've taken my beer money here's the money for the groceries now and yeah. you know goes off with other women and stuff yeah so um, the female character in it who he befriends I can't remember her name she's fantastic in it and the film for me is incredibly grim like it's quite a hard watch at times um you know, it's very, there's no kind of light or hope in it at all, I find. You know, it's just relentless. And there's a spoiler here, obviously, but, you know, if you've seen it, you know, if you haven't seen it and want to see it, maybe turn it off for a bit. But, like, does he commit suicide at the end? Yeah, I ended up on some message board from 2001. I love delving into the dark yeah. web before it was a bit more controlled. Not the dark web, Jesus, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like older stuff, these tiny little yeah. message boards. And, um... Some people there, one guy had this argument that he saw it just as like a moment of reflection and everything. And then he gets out and then does get to move to the No, for new me, flat, that's I, too far-fetched. It's like yeah. he commits suicide because like why and did they get it's out the of the house then. and go into this yeah, dream yeah. house through the fields? Which is very, like it's almost like an, a kid's version of Garage, like that ending where he just walks into the canal and just... Blup, blup. Well, he got, well, that's why he's had this guilt and he can't... You know his mate. Point so for me, that was relentless. I don't know. You didn't. You weren't able to find the female, younger actress. Like there's kind of a systematic abuse of her in that film, both like kind of physically and sexually. And it's that for me was just really unpleasant to watch. I know. Yeah, and he couldn't do anything about it. So. No, so I just kind of like I, the film is great and everything, you know. But and before I kind of set out watching, I was like, oh, I think this is going to be like Kess or um, there's another film I kind of. Earmarked, but I can't remember. But it's just it's too it's too grim for me. And for I think that, the like, hope and, and the positivity comes from when he dies and he gets to go into heaven through like he arrives then at this new yeah. living situation and so like I I'd never kind of watch it again. Yeah. Well, but you it's very enjoyable. Yeah, it's yeah, a solid four four stars. Yeah, and looks brilliant. Um, you, Lynn Ramsey was a photographer, and so you can tell that she just knows how to shoot this thing and all the color in the apartment is all so grim and grey it's shades of grey and khaki brown and mucky and so shitty and crap and mm. then you know we get to see the lovely the wheat field near this new development that they might be moving to this is the whole thing they're trying to it's like Ballymun they're trying to knock it down right and they're trying yeah. to or get them all out of there and there's a bit of dissent I didn't really understand did the did his parents want out? They both well, kind of no, did. No, the parents do. I yeah, wonder if the dad was like, can't be bothered or something. Like, cause, yeah. you know, when he's asleep and they come around, I kind of wondered whether he was sort of leading, just leading the mom on. Is that why they're... Oh, I think so. He he had maybe, you kind of got the impression that he just wanted to run away from the whole family and didn't want to be yeah. brought with them to this other new area. So, yeah. mm. so um, anyway, so I thought it visually looked great. Obviously, if this was shot now be shot digitally be a lot crisper and cleaner whereas this has a lovely murky film kind of grain to it mm-hmm. um, so really nice um, yeah I'd be up in the I really did like it I enjoyed it more possibly than 35 Shots of Rome which was your pick then yeah so, so 35 Shots of Rome is directed by Claire she's French so I'm going to say Denis it's hardly Dennis Claire Dennis yeah Hi. Claire Denis Claire Dennis um, from Dundalk so it's set in 2009 it was directed by uh, directed in 2009 and it's kind of a very simple story really just focusing on the relationship between a father and her daughter and his daughter um, Alex Deca plays Lionel and he's a train driver and an underground like metro train driver which it t- kind of takes you a while to figure out like for the first half an hour I'm kind of like what's going on here and like 
what is he very little yeah yeah like what is the relationship between everyone is this his yeah. girlfriend it's oh it's his daughter right okay are they gonna have sex now yeah no but oh their daughter's cool and like he's doing a thing going on a motorbike and i was like what does he do and then i was like oh he's a train driver because a friend of his um retires from becoming a train driver so it's that kind of whole other image of like retirement and losing your will and your image and it, it was a real film for me of single people just kind of on their own trying to deal with just being by yourself being and on like your own, yeah. single because the, the retired train driver obviously doesn't have a wife or family or anything we see you yeah. you know and the father Lionel is widowed um, his wife has died you don't really know why but or how you find you kind of they go and visit the grave at some point um, in Germany yeah it was a bit unclear about yeah. that and so it's kind of like the daughter needs to move away as well because like she's grown and then they have another neighbour who is a taxi driver Gabrielle who's played by um, Nicola she was also a bit of a that was an interesting dynamic she's yeah, because in the love father, basically yeah with, with the father Lionel. and but he kind of hates he's, her in some regard yeah he's kind of like oh, would you ever piss off yeah so well, we all have had neighbours like that yeah <laughs> but we kind of so there is this like singularity dynamic but trying to connect with each other and then the boyfriend who spoiler alert um, played by Adam Driver <laughs> played by yeah kind of actually, <laughs> that was a good one um, no way he he again doesn't want to kind of commit to anything and he's leaving this very single isolated life so it's kind of that disconnect with everyone and very subtle very it didn't drag at all and you don't really I, why is it called is it just like you drink 35 shots of a row this, well, I think the central married? thing of yeah it's this little tradition so I read it like that Lionel didn't want to do it early in the film because he wasn't feeling it you know what the leaving do yeah for the uh I'd say that's Train what they called it as well. Sign on the door. Leave and do for uh, Remy or Rene. <laughs> um, so they, he didn't. He does this trick of doing thirty-five shots of rum. Now they were half shots. They were they? tiny shots. Yeah, like, those aren't proper shots. Yeah. They're like mouthfuls of. But stuff. anyway, and then at the end of the film, there is a happier event that they're attending, and he does do the thirty-five shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether that's because he feels delighted to do it or whether he's just like oh, fuck him. I didn't really get just grim about it so it's this tradition thing yeah what's Why the not? rice cooker thing about I think it's a metaphor for the fact he he's had to buy a second one now because she's going to take the red one because she's going to take the red one yeah okay I think it's a straightforward the red one looks that. better yeah, he should be giving yeah. her the shitty one I think I'd be hanging on to the red one it looks better yeah um, yeah I kind of I did really like it not a lot happens in it but it's nice to see this and just you mom. don't you don't want to be sexist, but like I don't think if it's lovely because it just focuses on a relationship, and there is that more attention to detail that you would get from a female director, it, more focused on the relationship, and it is that father daughter kind of dynamic, and I don't think you would have got the same kind of poignancy and attention to detail and just kind of stillness with a male director. You know, yeah, I think what was interesting as well was it's modern. France so like they're all African immigrants pretty much um, t- tons of people that's the whole community around it they're all yeah. black mm-hmm. and then they do this little interlude over to Germany yeah it is interesting there isn't one white person in yeah. the goodbye the leave and do as you said yeah. there's like one white guy just kind of chilling in the background but apart from that yeah which I don't think it, there's not, that's not making a statement if it no, was a no. different kind of director yeah. um, I suspect it would have been more of a study of nationalism and, and race in the way that like La N was about Paris and that was very much a black and white side by side or earlier this year uh, Girlhood does stuff as well I thought it was um, anyway so I and then when they go to Germany um, it was uh, it was all white people I don't know I just took that weird observation and it was a mixed marriage so Lionel's wife uh, what was her name Steph- Josephine was it no you know the daughter whatever the daughter oh, whatever the sorry, mother sorry. the deceased yeah. mother yeah. was obviously a white German lady and so um, the daughter was a result of a, of a of a mixed marriage and had to kind of deal with that a little bit and yeah. it's kind of interesting but like you say a nice a nice film a really nice film I it doesn't it, you have to realise it, it takes you about halfway through where you're like oh there's not going to be the big there's no there's not no going to be a gotcha moment where no. you know someone murders well there's a death in it but yeah. you kind of feel that coming yeah Did you, you like kind of see that coming we won't ruin that no and then you're talking about the cat right <laughs> the cat death was brilliant Yeah, that was kind of brilliant and there was that thing it was just like there you go you're in a black bag now and that's it like that there is that kind of very European just like yeah you're dead and that's it I thought the cat was going in the fridge um, because he opens a press. Do you think they got a dead cat or they just put the cat asleep for a bit? 
Some good acting by the cat. I'd say the cat was fully put asleep. Because a dead cat would was stiffen up. I don't know cat? if you've ever oh, okay. dealt with a dead cat. Oh, yeah. yeah a dead cat they do get it. very yeah, yeah. stiff and they hard. They are And this cat was very soft. True. So it's probably worth emailing Claire Denny and talking to her like she's, you know, she, so the difference, you, you mentioned it a little bit, female director, I think it probably is stronger for the fact that Ratcatcher can't really say I would have noticed anything like we had, remind, just go back to it for a little bit, like Andrea mm-hmm. Arnold, another Scottish uh, female director. Red Road. And who did Red Road, which is another tale of like grim Scotland. And that as well felt like story directed by a woman but I don't know if Ratcatcher would be better or different do you see much gender politics going in there the mother like yeah. I suppose it's just the more you're less likely I think maybe for a man to make this kind of film it just seems more concerned with the relationships and the focus on you were talking about the small moments. shots of rum yeah and yeah, Ratcatcher yeah, yeah. even kind of like yeah. it's they're coming to it with a totally different outlook I think and yeah. yeah, we just see very few. Like, you know, you get plenty tiny little films directed by women that you'll see if you look up on IndieWire, the top 50 films directed by women, and we probably get 15 of them coming out mm. um, a year over here. Like, so few of them. Now, you can, they're available online and everything. You'll get to see more. But um, but do you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, so bottom line, we're just not seeing a lot. Um, no. So, uh, yeah, so that's it. Um, I haven't worked out what our next Watch with Spool will be, but we're going to actually contemplate the idea of splitting this podcast into two. So I hope to do that from next month where we'll do the classic bit out in the middle of the month. So if you like that, you can download that. Have a listen when you're driving to Damas. Or um, if you prefer this, the current bit, you'll get that at the beginning of the month as normal. So that'll be September, though. Plenty of time. Yeah. Um, our seen it this month in conjunction with the animation. It was a strong month for animation. Is We're going to just have a wee clip from The Lion King which is the classic song, Akuna Matata. So, uh, yeah, I'm going on holidays for two weeks. You're yeah. away in September. We're very much in the middle of summer. It's raining right now as we record, but we're in the middle of summer, so we need a bit of positivity. Um, so, Akuna Matata. It means no worries. Akuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Akuna Matata. Ain't no peasant craze. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata? It's our motto. What's the motto? Nothing. What's the motto with you? (laughs) You know, these two words will solve all your problems. That's right. Take Pumbaa, for example. Why... When he was a young warthog. When I was a young warthog. Very nice. Thanks. He found his aroma like a certain appeal. He could clear the savannah after every meal. I'm a sensitive soul, though I seem thick-skinned. And it hurt that my friends never stood downwind. And oh, the shame. He was a shame. What a change in my name. Oh, what's in a name? out of zebra. Any antelope? Nuh-uh. Hippo? Nope. Listen, kid, if you live with us, you have to eat like us. Hey, this looks like a good spot to rustle up some grub. Ew, what's that? A grub. What's it look like? Ew, gross. Mm. Tastes like chicken. Slimy yet satisfying. These are rare delicacies. Mm. Mm. Pecans with a very pleasant crunch. You'll learn to love them. I'm telling you, Kev, this is the great life. No rules, no responsibilities. Ooh, the little cream-filled kind. And best of all, no worries. 
Well, kid? Oh, well. Hakuna Matata. Slimy? It's satisfying. That's it.